0: So if you have your Bible with you, turn with me, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter 1. And even though they saw Jesus pray, the apostles did not know what it was to address God as Abba, Father, and to know that he was listening, at least not until they had a friend sitting next to God at the throne. So when they discovered that their friend had ascended back to heaven and yet they could still communicate with him and he still heard them, then they truly prayed because that is what prayer is. So here's Paul. He's a Pharisee's Pharisee. But his prayer life is transformed, and God revealed to him that the Holy Spirit was actually praying with him, and the Son of God was actually praying for him. And so now prayer is the one thing that you can always do perfectly. There's no possibility of failure in prayer, even if you ask for the wrong thing, or you feel like Your prayer is so disconnected and you don't even know what you're saying. The Holy Spirit takes it, corrects it, and Jesus presents it at the throne so that you get God's will for your life. So I think you can't divorce grace and prayer because here's my thesis for today's study. Everything a believer needs to live out his or her commitment to Jesus, you have been providentially provided by Grace. Now, I want you to think about that statement for a moment because this is a bottom-line principle which allows you to have a right balance in our society with everything we see happening in our country and in the world. That statement is simply a Bible principle that will bring you balance because we have a trust fund we have an endowment everything we need to successf- successfully arrive at God's intended destination while fulfilling his eternal purpose has already been granted us in grace now that being the case peter opens this second epistle this way look at second peter chapter 1 the first verse simon peter stop Because that is a picture of the two natures in the believer. So here's your birth name, Simon, which means listener. Then there's your new name that Jesus gave you, Peter, which means rock. And you will either be listening to the world, the devil, and your own heart, or you will become fixed and transfixed and immovable by what you see this Sunday. So verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Stop. In this series on grace, we already looked at First Peter a time or two. And in First Peter, we saw him introduce himself by exercising his authority as an apostle. But here in Second Peter, he's lived a little longer. And he, instead of getting puffed up, he goes lower and he puts his position as a servant first. And then he writes in verse 1, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. That's the same righteousness that the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Therefore, verse 2, grace and peace can be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So if you are here and you're a believer, you're a Christian by being born again, everything you need is on deposit in your spiritual bank account to allow you to grow in grace. And that means two things. That means to grow in your accrual of grace, but also to grow in using grace to make yourself and others grow. So, verse three, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Now, I want you to highlight verse three. I want you to highlight. I want you to keep verse three in your mind for a second, because you know I know that uh, uh, you know uh, many of you will come in here today, and it's going to be like, wow! I hope it's you know I hope it's always wow well for a good reason, but it'll be like, wow! There is just, I mean, there's so much there. I'm getting so much out of this. Because you're going to be trying to process and contemplate everything that these short verses we're going to look at today mean for you. But in addition to that, I think you need to also contemplate at the same moments all of the people you know who need to be in here hearing this same thing. I mean, God gives us a rich treasure every Sunday and verse Three is your inalienable rights as a Christian. Verse three is your God-given rights, and they give you the power to live a godly life and do anything God tells you to do. It is the Holy Spirit indwelling the believer, who the believer who is not just in Jesus, but then also believes in God's words. Because how does this power give us God's ability? Verse 3, we get it through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Now, four words are useful keys in Peter's epistle. Knowledge, glory, virtue, and remembrance. We are connected to the knowledge of God by his words to us right now in our Bible. We are connected to the glory of God at Christ's second coming. That call to glory is described in Romans chapter 8 verse 29. And in the meantime, we are connected to the virtue of God by fulfilling his calling. It's not just moral virtue or being virtuous. It is the power, the virtue that came out of Christ. When that woman had the faith just to touch the hem of his garment and be healed. And we're motivated to be established by what we remember. See, that's where we mess up sometimes. I mean, we're taught good stuff. We go through discipleship one and we forget that that's just the alphabet. And we need to use all 16 of those letters every day. We need to write our own sentence and our own paragraph and our own book with God. And we do that by remembering what we've gotten. So these are the same four goals of discipleship. Get established in the word of God by the knowledge of his words. Get established in the worship of God to give him glory. Get established in this local church by virtue through exercising your calling and get established in ministry by remembering what you were taught through making disciples of others. And these four keys are useful keys to you right now, because here's our first point for study. If you receive Jesus, you receive with Christ everything needed for the victorious function of your spiritual life, because God's call brings with it both, Peter tells us, glory and virtue. In the grace that is in Christ Jesus, we receive all of this treasure. And the claim is made in verse 3 that you need nothing else. You've got it all. And apart from Jesus and the grace that is in him, you don't need anything more to be all that you were created to be for eternity. Are you going to bank on that? During this tumultuous time, you know, that it, it, we live in a curious day, such a curious thing when so many people are claiming that what we need is not Christ. Christianity or the Bible what we need is is life coaching and we need all kinds of conferences and workshops and uh, to watch their YouTube videos which of course are monetized and uh, we need all these high-powered self-help seminars and speakers and webinars that we need to sign up for and we need the life coaches to to help us arrive at a more successful place in life in other words a more successful place in a life that does not last. And here Jesus Christ comes to us through Peter, and he says in verse 3, you will only get your answer through my divine power. You know, if you think about it, that makes so much sense. Did God need anything to help him create the universe? I mean, did he have to consult with anybody before he created the first human? Did he need anyone to help him create animals and plants? And, you know, I i don't know. I'm scrolling through Instagram and somebody, you know, sometimes, I, I don't know, I subscribe to maybe one, follow maybe one account like Earth Focus or something like that, just puts up pictures of different things. And so this guy has his hand out, and he's got four or five. It looks like leaves, different types of, you know, green leaf and, you know, rock or this or that. And he says, you know what? None of those things are leaves. They were all insects. You know, a walking stick kind of, kind of looks like a stick. And some of these other bugs, I mean, it looked just like a leaf. It didn't look like an insect. And I thought to myself, "How smart evolution is?" I mean, it didn't, I mean, isn't it great that we, we've got evolution? Because just evolution couldn't do that. There has to be a God. And Peter says his divine power is now residing you in you by grace. And so God is the only one who can take something out of nothing and make it into something worth having. And since God does not need help to be God, he doesn't need help from you. And everything that you need is already on deposit in Christ, which means it is available. As you exercise your free will, but to in faith through prayer, you get grace. Peter now goes into a further explanation in the next verse as to how that grace is transported, translated, and transferred to you. Watch, verse 4, whereby, stop, because whereby means by the divine power of verse 3, are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Why? Because that is how. So having escaped the corruption, in, you know, that's worded in such a way, You, it's kind of hard for you to tell, isn't it? Is it these promises giving me the divine nature, which allows me to escape from the corruption of the world, through lust, or is it, I've escaped the corruption of the world through lust because these promises are now giving me, you know, it's, it's like, did I, which did I have to do first? And it's worded that way because you got to understand you've got the promises. You're made a partaker of the divine nature. But you know what? Every time God frees you from some habit, from some sin, every time he shows you the way of, of escape, to some temptation, and you take it, you better stay out. Because you are being, you are being um, uh, uh, taken out of that world, escaping from the corruption that is in the world through the flesh, as you respond in real time to those things going on. So as soon as the new nature is made alive in you, when you are born again by the Holy Spirit, You become partaker of that divine nature, and all these promises will start working as you apply them in your life. And so those who come alive by faith in Christ are given God's words in the Bible, and the Word of God does the work from there. And let me say, you got to have the right Bible, because if you don't have biblical authority, then the Word of God isn't going to work for you like that. And that is why when you get a different Bible that has no biblical authority and therefore it does not work for you like that, you have to run to other people, other things, to life coaches, to seminars, to workshops, to books, to things that happen in a short time after you read them, do them, or say them. And 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 then, uh, you know, it's like it's you're back in the same spot again. So it is by God's words that we take part in the nature of Jesus Christ and your Bible will produce in you all the things God says he will do for you in order to become all you are created to be for eternity. Now, there's a lot of theology in verse four, but how'd you miss that? And, uh, you know, how can people mess with the Bible like they do? it? I mean, if you're going to, take away God's authority, you've automatically taken away his power. So when you make the decision to trust Jesus for eternal life, God puts his own divine nature in you through the Holy Spirit. He comes to dwell and take up residence in you so much so, and here's our second point for study, that all God has for you already resides within you by his spirit. People today say, You know, if you are having a problem and you want to find the solution, look inside yourself. But the only thing inside yourself is darkness, deception, and brokenness until you get saved. But then look at what God do. You become the one, Colossians 1 verse 27 says, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery of his nature and his character and his person in you as the new man, which leads you to glory at Christ's second coming. So let me illustrate this irrefutable idea. Whenever a woman is pregnant, and all the traits of that will become apparent uh, in the baby as it grows, uh, and they're already contained there in the DNA of that child. And so the color of the skin and the eyes and the hair and the number of fingers and toes, and even though they have not been fully developed, they all reside within the womb in the genes of that fertilized egg. Human nature is encoded in microscopic form, but while it is in minuscule form, it is a mighty power because development takes place and it reveals what was there all along. And you don't have to do anything except feed it. So once fertilization occurs, maturity is present and resident in the egg. You don't have to go to your obstetrician. And say, look, add this skin color and sprinkle on some freckles, even though they will hate that as they grow older. I mean, I want I want these eyebrows, not unibrow. I want these eyebrows. And, uh, hey, don't forget the toenails. No, even though you can't see them, they are, are already present because they are part of the nature that is implanted in humanity. So guess what God is saying to you this morning? Once your spiritual life is fertilized by the Spirit of God, once conception and new life has taken place within you, you don't have to say, give me victory as if it resides outside of you. Victory is already resident and glory will be revealed. Strength is there. Joy is there. But but the issue is two things. Number one, the devil wants to deceive you so that you don't keep your peace and you don't stay in God's word. And second, God's goal is to convince you that all that you need is in Christ through the words that he's given. So the character of Christ, along with the divine power of God, are resident in everyone who is a child of God today. Verse 3 says it is his divine power. Verse 4 says it is his divine nature. All you have to do is eat and grow. Now, wouldn't it be cool if all of us could just have that as our life verse? You know, our life motto, the motto of our life, eat and grow. Oh, some of you already have that. No, I'm just kidding. But really, that's the way it is. You know, if that were the end of the story, then we'd never have a problem. But you and I both know that we live in a dilemma of magnified trauma. And the paradox is between who we are and what we have versus how we act. So we're we're in this, every believer's in this perpetual tension between what we are in Christ by our standing in him and what we look like before the unsaved world in our state on this earth. And sometimes we seem to be this living contradiction. And I will say even more so as believers get more involved in the world and less involved in ministry through the church. You know, I don't really care about... March and protest particularly, but when I, you know, when I see something like that happen and I look out and say, I wonder how many people in that crowd are born again believers. And it's like, okay, how come they're not here with us? How come we are not that passionate about evangelism, discipleship and exegeting our English Bible? How come we don't have the motivation and the And the passion for that. Christ has made us to have joy and yet we're depressed. Christ gives us power and it seems like our weakness personified. Christ gives us victory and we keep being triggered and losing. God plans our success, but at any given moment, we are a royal failure. So the question from the pulpit this morning is this. How do I reconcile the spiritual dilemma between who I am in Christ and how I am reacting in life? Between God's terrific strength and my terrible weakness, how do those two things connect to waking reality? And, you know, really, I use the illustration that I did a moment ago because I think every theological spiritual truth has a physical reality to illustrate it. You know, where, where do you get your illustrations? Well, that is a great question for disciples. Where do you find analogies of the spiritual truth you are communicating to your disciple? Mostly, I think all of life can be seen as illustrating something spiritual, either positively or negatively. So for every physiological reality, there is a spiritual truth, which is why that physical reality exists. And whenever you read a heavy, doctrinally deep passage, well, you need to ask what physical reality represents that divine truth to me. Okay, let's try that with this passage. Peter's talking about the divine nature. So the obvious illustration physically is our human nature. And like we said, resident within the baby in the womb is all the biological gene encoding to manifest physical life. And all human nature needs for it to bust out is a process and a structure. So I want to call your attention today, and this is our third point for study, to the fact that while spiritual maturity is guaranteed, it is not automatic, I mean, it is guaranteed because Paul says we will be presented to Jesus as his glorious bride, not having spot nor wrinkle or any such thing, Ephesians 5.27. And that is our sure and certain hope that will take place. That's the hope of glory. We will be glorified and we will return with him in glory at the second coming. But here's the best piece of advice that you will get all year. I'm just saying. Okay, you ought to be aware of this next statement. It's going to be the best piece of advice you get all this year. And that piece of advice is this. Be ironing your wedding gown now. Be getting the stains out of your garment now. Don't be waiting for the judgment seat of Christ where it'll have to be burned out and you will lose rewards. Be cleaning up your wedding gown now. So this is a fundamental distinction in the Christian life. Everything an unborn baby needs to be mature is already in the womb. But you will never see it unless responsibility is taken by the parents for the nurture and the admonition so that it can become what God conceived it to be. Now wait, because I just told you right there, why our society is so out of hand. Unredeemed parents take no responsibility for untaught children. And obviously we have a disconnect, a psychotic disconnect with reality when we have taken pregnancy and childbearing totally out of the realm of the family, and we are getting exactly what we have set up in our society for the last 60 years. Parents not taking responsibility to teach. that. So we got untaught children running the streets and ruling the streets, and what is inherent to fallen human nature manifests itself over time. So if you do not feed the infant right, you damage its ability. And while all the ingredients are there in the womb, nutrition is still the key. And we're infused with the divine nature immediately that we get saved, but we have to receive with meekness the engrafted word progressively. James 1 verse 21. So a victorious state of maturity is not guaranteed unless... The Bible is brought to bear in your life in order to bring forth what God has already put in. And you can see from that one statement right there, it tells you why our churches are in the mess that they're in. So all at once today, we can define for you exactly why our society is as messed up and broken as it is right now, and exactly why our churches are so messed up and broken along with our society. Because we have not brought the Bible to bear. And if you don't bring the Bible to bear, you box God out. So it is that God gives us in Christ the genetic DNA of his image. And you notice what the Bible's saying today is the exact thing that lost Americans need to hear in the wake of all the consternation from legislation and from judicial decisions. So this gives us the transition from verse 4 to verse 5. Look at verse 5 and beside this, stop. Because that means getting saved is not all there is. And manifesting the corruption in the world that is in the world is not all there is either. You get saved, and after you start getting separated, then verse 5 you must be giving all diligence Add to your faith. The saga continues. You know, really, this passage is a concerto of grace. And uh, Peter uh, takes this, the first thing, and he adds seven notes to the first note, the things that you need in order to see the divine nature just unfold in your life. And each one of these things is built on the one before it. So this, is a, this octave is a divine blueprint for your process of growth. And I don't care if you got saved yesterday or 50 years ago. The pattern in this process applies to you right now. So this is the data, the wisdom you need to know to enable your growth to full maturity as an adult in Jesus Christ. I mean, what an important passage. And it all starts with your diligence. Peter's going to use the word again down in verse 10. So let me hit you with the definition. Giving all diligence means go after it. I mean, the James gang also translates this word, earnest, careful, forwardness, and haste. Use some speed. Do it with eagerness. Do not waste a moment. Do not let yourself get turned over or turned around. Make it a focal point of your existence every day. Do not sit back just because you're saved and expect everything to happen automatically because it won't. So stop reacting to our times and start acting for God. But in order to grow, you got to dig deeper than just saving grace. A child, you know, is born in normal circumstances without any outside inducement. And it kind of just happens about nine months after conception. But if that child is going to grow... After it is born, the parents must give all diligence. And that means we've got to explore new spiritual dimensions in our life. So here's our fourth point for study. The amount to which you experience spiritual growth and spiritual success and spiritual power and connectedness to God and fellowship and walking in the Spirit. And power in the Spirit is proportional to the degree that you give all diligence over time. So if you half-step with God, God half-steps with you. If your prayers are half-hearted, your requests are half-heard. If you have half-hearted study, you receive half-hearted answers. If you give half-hearted devotion, you have a half-life of growth. If you have half-hearted fellowship with us, there will be half-hearted support and structure to become the spiritually mature person that you are in Christ, and are called to become. Now, I might be preaching better than you're listening today, but uh, one of the academic problems that we face is we want our children to do well in school, and yet they want to be entertained by video games and devices. So it's education versus entertainment, and it's just really hard to be an A student if you are an Xbox addict, I'm just saying. So if you're going to make the principles on a roll, uh, you have to give all diligence and not to Minecraft. But I hope the adults are taking notes today, because education may be free, but learning is not automatic. Let me tell you how knowledge puffs you up. The only drawback of knowledge is when it puffs you up. You know how you know when knowledge has puffed you up? When you've gotten so proud about what you know, you stop learning that is how you know knowledge has puffed you up because you stop doing your own homework in the Word and keep leaning on God by learning from God. So faith in the system and faith in the curriculum still requires a faithfulness that works to do its homework. You say now, Alan, wait a minute, just where is grace and all that? Well, grace is deposited in you, the divine nature. Well, and so even after all diligence, if not for grace, there wouldn't be anything to grow. I mean, look at Philippians chapter two, verses, verses 12 and 13 there in your handout. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Work out of you what God has placed inside of you. And do that with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God puts the will in you. you got to be willing to do it, though. So grace empowers your diligence, and grace means your diligence pays off in fruitful results in your life. And work does not override grace, but grace enables work to bring grace gifts to full fruition and full function. So here's our fifth point for study Grace makes the deposit and will incite fulfillment, but in doing so, grace always empowers your direct involvement. And the reason that so many people do not experience spiritual maturity is because they do not give extended spiritual focus. Satan too often is able to regularly distract us and divert us with pandemics, protests, politics, and Putin. I'm just saying. So you are inconsistent and instable instead of being grounded and rooted in the four goals, those four-sided aspects of grace. Satan wants to keep your prayer life down. He wants to keep you out of discipleship. He wants to keep you out of your Bible. Or if he can't do that, get you to doubt biblical authority and the fact that you have God's words in your Bible, if it is a King James Bible, And if not, then you don't. And that's part of the problem right there. He wants you to doubt that whole thing and keep you at odds with your brothers and sisters in Christ and keep you away from our church and keep you out of worship and praise and wants to distract you so that he can divert you because Satan understands how this growth cycle works. So before we get to the separate notes in this crescendo, there's another key word in verse 5. And this is just simple English Bible exegesis. So these two words, diligence and add, give you the key in which this concerto is being written. So add to your faith. And the word add means to minister and provide nourishment from a full supply. It is from this Greek word we get our words chorus and choreography. Are you a roadie for Jesus? I know I just triggered somebody with that question, but, but this word meant a patron of the arts who would come alongside and support the chorus and the, and the professional singers. And, and, and why do you not come alongside and support what grace is doing? Support your faith with virtue. And stop working against God's nature. And then support your virtue with these other things. And stop hindering the natural growth process to maturity in Christ. Complement your basic characteristic with additional Christ-like character. And then each dimension will fit into and enable and develop the next So God wants to give you so much peace, so much power, so much strength. Stop stopping him. Or to put it in reverse, start collaborating with God's grace. Be the patron who finances his arts and skills. Say, but Alan, how do you do that exactly? We'll look at verse five. You add to your faith virtue. Add to your basic faith something to be praised. That's King James translators also translated that virtue praise to be praiseworthy. Add something you know Christ is going to reward you at the judgment seat for. So add, add valor and good character and even manliness under suffering. So with all apologies to Led Zeppelin... This is the stairway to heaven, and I'm going to give you the stairway to the heavenlies and and then let you go. Here's an intensive course on increasing your grace, and while it is totally funded by God, it does require you to come to class. Number one, faith. That is the trust in Jesus Christ that leads you to salvation. Grace is the finished work of Christ operating on your behalf as you activated by faith, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So Peter is assuring that you have faith, I mean, he's making that assumption because he's addressing people, verse 1 said, who are already believers by being born again. And now that you are born again, you have to grow spiritually. Add to your faith this first ingredient, virtue, which means mastering something so it fulfills its intended purpose. To add virtue to a sword means you sharpen the blade so it can slice. To add virtue to a bow means that you string the bow so you can shoot. To add virtue to an athlete means training that person to win their event. And all of that is virtue. Well, why? What are we trying to master? We're trying to master Christ-likeness. We're trying to attain spiritual excellence. So add to your faith a commitment to become a master builder like Paul. You know, in certain professions, whatever you achieve that is a proficient level in that craft, they say you've mastered it, and so you're a master electrician, you're a master plumber. Uh, In music, when you're taught by a professional or virtuoso, they give you a master class. And people do not master anything by luck. A master craftsman does not lay in bed praying about it. Hello, somebody. The master builder spends time perfecting the skills and the arts of their trade. Most Christians in most churches this morning have not gone very far in the faith because they are satisfied to be a novice believer and not a master. Oh, all I, you know, as far as I want to go is novice, not service. I want to attend, but not attempt. Well, why haven't you gone any further than that? Let me give you the short answer. Because you are satisfied with where you are. You're also content, therefore, that you're not going to be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. Oh, boo. Because if you're not cultivating the virtues which grow the fruits that produce the rewards that you receive at the judgment seat of Christ, you don't get them. Add the commitment to become a person of valor this year. How? You say, Alan, how do I do that? Verse 5. And to virtue, add knowledge. So we're climbing a stairway here. And ascending each step opens the opportunity to rise once again. So you get saved. You consecrate yourself to excellence. Then after that, you are going to need the right Correct, authoritative information. So number three, knowledge is the science that feeds the spiritual nature. So notice that knowledge comes after virtue because this is a science diet. He's talking about knowledge of God, verse 2, and knowledge of the scriptures, verses 20 and 21. So if you do not make a commitment to master the Bible, you will not master the Christian life which in turn fuels the steps to maturity that follow. You know, anybody who's a farmer and grows a crop learns something about the field, something about the soil, and something about the seed. you got to know about the seed that you're planting and the soil. And I don't want you to stop with last year's knowledge to try and face this year's challenges. Hello, somebody. And so here's our final point for study. Knowledge is a good thing as long as you don't let it puff you up because it comes out of the commitment to be a master in the field. And it enables balanced growth in your life. You need to get discipled. Then you need to take our D2 class this fall and you need to get a master's degree in spiritual issues. I want you to be growing in the knowledge of Christ first, and in the knowledge of his Word second, and then a knowledge of things which surround all the problems in life. I don't think you want me to come at you every Sunday saying the same things. I don't think you want to come here on Sunday and feel like you can finish my statement or finish my sermon. Have you decided you want the knowledge of God? And you know what those studies just like if you're trying to be a master builder. Not and you know everything's not always exciting or invigorating or motivating. I mean if you're a master plumber and you got to crawl underneath a house with a crawl space I'm just saying not everything is you know is is motivating, but all of the time, you will be getting closer to the mastery. And this is such a critical list because this is the way to grow in grace and maximum grace. And so we'll finish this list next time that we look at grace. Next Sunday, we're gonna final sermon on our series on the Holy Spirit. But, you know, unless you've received God's grace by faith, your faith in Christ you're an adversary to him. You are an enemy to him. It doesn't matter if you want to be. doesn't matter if you don't think so. doesn't matter your motivation. There is only one perfect life, and it was lived for you already. Because Peter wrote back in verse 1, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. But does Peter write to you, do you have a faith like ours? Have you obtained a precious faith, 1 Peter one seven, which believes in precious blood, verse 19, in precious promises, 2 Peter 1, four, and has a blessed hope, Titus 2.13. I want to invite you to accept the righteousness of that one perfect life, which was lived on your behalf, And then start growing in grace. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Have you yet received God's grace by your faith in response to Jesus' offer? I mean, this is not a bab I'm not a Baptist talking to you. I don't want to make Baptists today. I, I want to make Christians today. And this isn't the Baptist way of doing anything. This is what Jesus says. Have you responded to Jesus' offer to you? All of heaven rejoices when anybody does that because it glorifies Jesus for you to trust in his finished work on the cross to save you. If you trust Jesus today for what he promises, you will be given everlasting life because you will get a new birth Will you just pray with me right now and say, God, I want life after death. And more than that, I want to be certain that I have it. So I believe on Jesus today for everlasting life. I believe, so I receive. Here, Jesus, I give you my life. God, make me born again right now because I'm asking in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you give Jesus your life, he'll give you his life. And the Holy Spirit will fill you as you start getting into God's word. And then as God's word does the work in your life, you will start to grow. Everything about you changes. Since you're a new creature in Christ, it starts manifesting itself over time. That righteous DNA begins to overcome all the wickedness in your life. And that changes your very personality, and that makes you mature into the image of Christ. So go ahead and stand with me if you would. And if you prayed that prayer today, if you prayed for the first time, will you just come meet me or one of our altar counselors that are here at the front? I want to give you a copy of a book I've written that will show you the next step for new believers you know what? We have a lot of people, I think, they get fed here and they attend here, but they're not a member here. And, you know, maybe you're saved, but you've never been baptized, or maybe you were sprinkled and not really baptized. You know what? You need to get fully vested. You need to get fully vested. We're going to do baptisms in one month, the Sunday right after all church retreat, because we want to let anybody who gets saved at ACR to be able to get baptized that next Sunday, and, and if you need that, come up and let us know. We're taking Sunday nights off during the summer, so, you know, nothing churchwide for Fourth of July, coming up in, in one weekend, but uh, kind of cleared the decks for adult classes and harvest teams, if they want to do anything, and if you need any materials to hand out to people, um, let us know at the welcome desk, and um, we'll get those prepared for you but really take off two days come with us out to UCM those two days evangelism discipleship and English Bible exegesis because it is time for a revival in the word and we have more people so far signed up than last year at this time but only got a week or so to go before we can stop taking registrations even if you don't only just want to come to sessions you still got to register and pay it's not as much i forget what it is cuz we've got cuz we have to pay for a parking pass so you do not get a ticket oh lord this is so important we have, we have such a great summer ahead. god is doing so many things in the lives of people who are here and we need to get more people coming so they can god can start working in their life as well Uh, Let's make that commitment. We're going to do that together. This will be a summer of change. We don't need a summer of rage. We need a summer of change. But this does need to be, this better be, our summer of change because you don't know what's coming financially, uh, inflation. You don't know what's coming socially. You don't know what's, is there going to be a third world war after all? You don't know what's coming. We need a summer of change. Praise team.